0: It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are back. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by Manscaped.com. Yes, we are currently being sponsored by Manscaped.com. So head over to their website, www.manscaped.com, and you can enter our discount code, which is 90MIN20, to get 20% off of your order, as well as free shipping. We're back and uh, took a few days off because, of course, it is the international break. And as I'm sure you guys can imagine, you know, I'm sure it's been the same for you uh, guys. You know, there's been a bit of football burnout this this season, right? There's been so much football. There's been so many games going on. It's been difficult to keep on top of it all. It's been difficult to stay refreshed with it all. And I sat there racking my brains about what I was going to do during the international break and actually thought that we'd take the content up to a certain point. But then we'd stop it there, have a few days off, have a few days to regroup, to rethink about things, to plan for the remainder of the season. And I can tell you uh, there are some great, um, great plans in place. So make sure uh, that you stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed if you haven't already. And if you're listening via the audio, uh, make sure that you have uh, subscribed via whatever platform it is that you um That you listen to us from. Now, there is a brand new series on the channel, on the podcast starting tomorrow. It's called Chronicles Meets. And that is not hosted by myself. It is hosted by the brilliant Mike Stavrou, uh, football reporter over at Metro Sport. I'm sure you all recognize him and all know exactly who I'm talking about from his appearances on the show. Always gives great insight. We always have great debates. And Mike will be picking up the Chronicles Meets series. He recorded the first episode at the back end of last week. With the brilliant Kevin Campbell, who again I'm sure many of you have seen on this channel, and of course, uh, plenty of others. But Casey joined Mike for the first ever episode, and I don't think he could have found a better guest uh, for the first episode. So, really good, honest, open, frank conversation between Mike and Kevin, and that show will be dropping tomorrow. So that um, that will be available starting uh, sorry that will be available tomorrow afternoon here in the UK. So make sure you stay tuned uh, and and check that one out when it drops. So what's been going on Um, over the last few days? I've been taking a bit of a break, Um, as I said, um, you know, chilling out a little bit, watching some football. I have watched some football. Um, I've watched a a couple of the England games. I've watched... um, I've watched uh, Greece. I've watched Cyprus in their games as well. Looking forward to Cyprus's game tomorrow uh, against uh, Slovenia. So, um, yeah, I've been keeping myself busy, but it's nice to watch football without that major pressure to cover it, if you know what I mean. And, and almost like, you know, you can get into this kind of work and this kind of job and, and you know, it's a dream come true. It really is. And I'm, not, I'm not saying anything otherwise, but what can happen is your hobby becomes your job and then... You feel like you have nothing with which to unwind anymore. You know, football, when I was working a different job, was my escape, was my thing I looked forward to at the weekend. So sometimes it is necessary to have a little bit of a break and um, to actually be able to sit and watch some football, albeit international football, not the greatest football, etc., etc., was nice. Um, so I'm glad we had the international break, but now I'm refreshed and I'm buzzing for the remainder of the season. And then of course we've got the European championships as well. So it's not even a break in the summer, which is why it was even more necessary, uh, to take a short one this weekend. But as I say, we're back and we're going to kick off by discussing the reports linking Arsenal with a move for Real Betis's Nabil Fakir. Now this is not the first time Arsenal have been linked to the Frenchman. It's happened the links have been there. Um, over the years, he's obviously a, an attacking midfielder and I think the, the links coming out just feels a little bit too convenient to me, given that it came a couple of days after we heard that Real Madrid may not wish to sell Martin Erdogan. So it feels like they found someone who could be on the move in the summer. Nabil Fakir, he's at Real Betis. They're expecting bids to come in for him this summer and they've put two and two together and gotten five because I, I, I don't really see... Arsenal moving for Nabil Fakir this summer, but it is a big story at the moment. It is a report that's done the rounds. Now, the original source uh, is Mundo Deportivo, uh, a Spanish outlet, not the most reliable normally. It has to be said, um, but I thought it was worth discussing. And, and I wrote a piece today for Ninety Min um, on whether he is a viable option in the in the uh, if the unthinkable happens and. We're unfortunately unable to sign Martin Erdogan. But for me, when you compare the two, I think Arsenal have to go for broke for Martin Erdogan uh, because he just ticks so many more boxes for me than Nabil Fakir does. And look, that's not to say Nabil's not a a talented player. He's had a very good season in Spain. Uh, His performances have been, I've seen reported by some outlets this season as remarkable. Um, you know, he's doing a very, very good at job at Real Betis. They're doing very well in La Liga this season as well. Um, and and Nabil Fakir obviously has played a part in that. But when you weigh up the pros and cons of the two, and we'll do a little bit of that in this video, because I think it's worth, uh, it's worth looking into. You know, you compare the ages of the two players and Martin Odegaard is 22, Nabil Fakir is 27. So I would feel a lot more confident about breaking the bank, about spending a significant amount of money on Martin Odegaard than I would on Nabil Fakir because of that. You know, you've got to look at the longevity of the signing. Will they have potential sell-on value, um, you know, if if you wish to move them on later on? So that has to be taken into consideration as well. And that is, for me, another reason why Martin Odegaard, um, you know, beats him, you know, talking about, Premier League experience. Martin Odegaard's got some now. And he's come in, taken to Arsenal like a duck to water. He's been really good, really productive. Um uh, there's been lots and lots of talk about, you know, his um you know, his attitude and the way he's fitted in behind the scenes. And and I guess with with Martin Odegaard, if we were able to make that deal permanently, you're almost minimizing the risk of somebody coming in and taking a little bit of time to settle and a little bit of time to get acclimatized to the Premier League. So again, another box that Martin Odegaard ticks. A lot of you are talking in the chat about him being injury prone, Nabil Fakir. I don't think that Nabil Fakir is that injury prone as in he's gonna break down every, you know, every few weeks. But Nabil Fakir, uh, famously in the 2015-16 season, I think it was, broke down with a cruciate knee ligament injury. And we all know that that's a really difficult injury to recover from. One that we've seen some players, you know, in the case of Hector Bellerin, for example, maybe not quite recover from it. So that is obviously a concern that he's had that injury. And if you believe the rumours, um, that's why Liverpool didn't sign him. So Liverpool were very, very close to bringing Nabil Fakir to Anfield um, a couple of summers ago. And as the story goes, or or the story that Liverpool tell anyway, something came up in in the medical assessment uh, with regards to his knee. And it was a lasting effect of the knee injury that he picked up a couple of seasons prior. And Liverpool decided off the back of that that it wasn't worth investing in excess of £50 million for. Nabil Fakir, denies those claims. Um, he denies that was true. He said that Liverpool simply changed their minds and they used that as a, an excuse, as a way out um, uh, of doing the deal. He did end up moving on from Lyon. Uh, Join Real Betis, as I've said, but not for anywhere near the fee that Liverpool uh, were considering paying. So he moved on for around about 17 or £18 million, pounds, which is significantly less uh, than the £50 million pounds that that Liverpool were going to pay. So is there something in that? I suspect that there might be. I suspect there is. And I suspect that's why Leon uh, then decided to sell uh, for a, a much less price or a much less significant price. Don't know for sure. Of course, I am speculating. Uh, maybe I'm putting two and two together and coming up with five. Who knows? But um you know, that's uh, that's my understanding of the Nabil Fakir situation. In terms of their player profiles, though, in terms of what they would both bring to the table, they're very, very similar. Uh, both are central attacking midfield players who are capable of playing from either flank. Both are left-footed. Uh, so in terms of what they would bring to the team stylistically, I don't think there's a major difference. I think you could argue that, um, that Martin Odegaard presses more Works harder um, and is a little bit more intense, which I think is probably better suited to the Premier League. But for me, you know, the the biggest two, um, I guess, points in Odegaard's favour are that A, he is much younger and in my opinion, has a far higher ceiling and B, is that he's already here. You know, we already know that the signing of him is working out. We already know that he's fit in. We already know that he's become acclimatized to the Premier League. And, you know, a lot of people bang on about Premier League experience. I don't think that it is the be all and end all. I think if you're a great player, you will succeed anywhere. But I also understand why people prefer to have that, because you look at Nicola Pepe as a prime example of someone who's come in and yes, he's doing okay now, but it's taken him a hell of a lot of time to get up to speed. And, and you can't really take that risk at a time when finances are so uh, hard to come by at a time where, you know, the world financially in many ways is on its knees. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just think that Odegaard will be the safer option and it will cost more. Of course it will, but it should because he's a better player. He's got um, a contract at Real Madrid. He's 22 years old and it, since he's arrived in the Premiership, he's been fantastic. Big hello to everybody in the live chat. I can see there are plenty of you joining me. Make sure if you haven't already, you smash that like button. A big hello in particular uh, to Aaron Corbett who says, love the content, Harry. Smash the like button. Yes, make sure you do so. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you check out 90min and make sure if you uh, haven't done so already and you fancy it, you check out our membership proposition by clicking on the link in the description. You can help support the podcast and in return, you receive access to our brilliant Discord server as well as Um, members-only content, the next piece of which is dropping on Thursday. Uh, So uh, check that out as well. Uh, Right, let's uh, move on and give you guys a little bit of an update on what's going on um, in terms of how our players have, have fared, how they've performed on the international scene over the last week or so. Before I go into sort of the games and talk about sort of how some of them have performed, there's a couple of bits of news coming out today involving Arsenal players. So I just wanted to touch on those. And the first one is that Mohamed Neni has allegedly refused to play for Egypt. Now, of course, Egypt play their final African Cup of Nations qualifier tonight, but it's understood that, that Mohamed Elneny has fallen out with the coach and has refused to take part in this game. It's not something I really thought we would get from Mohamed El Neni. When you talk about his attitude, I would have said it's probably exemplary. I would have said that he's very humble, very honest, and and I wouldn't expect him to be the guy um to um you know to to get involved in something like that. Now I don't know if he's actually gonna not play um I think the game is already underway uh, as we're doing it. Yeah, he, he has played. Uh, but apparently the report is that he refused to play before the game. So obviously something's been um, resolved there. Um, you know, it's um it is a strange situation. So Mohamed Elneny allegedly refused to take part in tonight's game, um, said that he was unhappy with the fact he didn't start in the last one. Um obviously got his start because he scored a goal tonight, but just the whole idea of there being a headline and a story about Mohamed Neni refusing to play just, just shocked me. Now I'll tell you guys what the story was and and what it was reported. Obviously we know that, you know, he has, he has played now. Um, but the, the story went that Mohamed Neni basically was disappointed that he was left out of the game against Kenya the other day. Um, and he was so unhappy with that, that when he was asked by the manager at halftime to warm up, he refused. Um, and after refusing, he told his manager that he will not be playing. Now, this apparently stems back from a disagreement between the two previously. So apparently, uh, Mohamed Elneny uh, and the coach, Hossam El Badri, um had had a conversation about Elneny's role in the squad previously. And Elneny said, if you're not going to play me, don't call me up. So by being called up this time, he thought that he was going to start and he didn't play against Kenya. And the reason given um, by the, uh, by the coach uh, Hosam El Badri was that Mohamed El Neni had only trained with the team for one day before the game. However, that was also the case with Aston Villa's Trezeguet and it was also the case uh, with El Ghazi. So those guys got in the team, but Mohamed oneni didn't. And he was said to be so livid, so disappointed, so frustrated that he refused to warm up and said he would not take part in tonight's game. Obviously, that situation appears to have been resolved. It's understood that Mohamed Salah and some of the other senior players in and around the squad uh, got involved uh, to try and sort of patch things up between the pair. It obviously seems to work, but... Um, OK, he's not followed through with it and he is playing and he scored a goal, vindicating his argument about the fact he should start. But Mohamed Neni is one of the most high profile players in the Egyptian squad, just for the fact he plays for Arsenal, even if he's not a regular starter. And I find it strange that he would be left out. But I have to say, when I heard this story, it did feel a little bit out of character. Now, we know that the whole boycotting of, of tonight's game obviously didn't come to fruition whether he said it whether he he wanted it to be the case or not um but we do know that he refused to warm up at the weekend and that still uh, comes as a surprise to me I've got to say so that was the story reported on on Mohamed Elneny um we know that he's playing for Egypt right now as we're recording this um So obviously, the tensions have have kind of died down a little bit. But I was really surprised to hear that story. And I thought it was one that was worth uh, bringing to the table. Another story is uh, is a sad one, actually. And it's with regards uh, to Lucas Torreira. His mother um, is in intensive care, unfortunately, uh, back in Uruguay, having contracted the COVID virus. And he's been uh, given special dispensation by Atletico Madrid to travel home uh, and be with his mother. So we wish uh, the Torreira family... Uh, All the best. And and we hope his mum makes a speedy recovery. I think we can all uh, probably, uh, you know, think of someone or or somebody that we know who's either unfortunately passed away or uh, been very, very ill from the coronavirus. I know that I can. So. Um, it is a serious thing. Yes, the lockdown measures here in England are easing a little bit slowly in stages and we're all delighted that we can get back outside and play sport and whatever. Uh, but it's just a reminder of the severity uh, of this virus and the fact that we have to still be, um, you know, as careful as possible whilst trying to get our lives back on track. So it's a hard balance to find, but um, yeah. That's the update on Lucas Torreira's family. So if I see anything else um, and I'm not claiming to be in the know or have a line to Lucas Torreira's family, but if I do come across any news reports, because it's what I do all bloody day, um, <laughs> and some may not have the time to rummage through as much as I do. But if I do get any updates, then I will be sure uh, to share those with you guys on this podcast. Well, right, let's have a look at how some of our other individuals uh, did on the uh on the international stage over the course of the last few days. Uh, Let's start off with Cedric Suarez. He played the full match and provided an assist as Portugal drew 2-2 with Serbia in controversial circumstances. Cristiano Ronaldo stormed off the pitch after Portugal were denied a late winner in World Cup qualifying Group A, leaving them second in the table. I'm sure you've all seen it. I'm sure you've all seen the clips going around of Lucas... Lucas, I was going to say Lucas Torreira. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, literally livid about the decision. The ball was clearly over the line. Uh, You could see it in real time. I'm shocked that the decision was wrong. There was obviously... No goal line tech in place. Um, I'm not sure I condone Cristiano's reaction, but I can understand why he was so disappointed and frustrated by it. Um, at the end of the day, it's Cristiano Ronaldo and he can do what he likes because he's that good and nobody's going to get the arse with him. Um, but what's, the, what's nice to hear, I guess from a neutral perspective, you probably wouldn't feel the same if you were a Portuguese fan, but is that the referee did apologise Um to the manager, uh, Santos, after the game, uh, because he obviously realised that they had made a mistake. He obviously realised that, you know, the the decision was the wrong one. And and as I say, Fernando Santos uh, received an apology uh, for for that decision post-match. Um, Let's move on. What else have we got? Uh, Kieran Tierney, he played the duration of Scotland's 1-1 draw against Israel in Tel Aviv this weekend. Uh, Ryan Fraser scored the equaliser for Scotland after they found themselves uh, 1-0 down. But Scotland got a draw and Tierney played the full match there. Um, Martin Odegaard, he played 45 minutes against Gibraltar on Wednesday, remember? And he picked up a slight knock. He was substituted at halftime. As a precaution, he did play the full game against Turkey, though, on Saturday. And this result leaves Norway third in Group G after two games. So, Turkey adding to their fantastic win over the Netherlands just a few days prior. And I'll tell you what, if you've got a few quid knocking about and you want to have a bit of an outsider's bet on somebody to get to the last four of the Euros, I would go with Turkey. I haven't looked at the groups, and and obviously that will play a part in my decision. And I'm sure I will. um, when we come to cover the Euros, uh, you know, study it a little bit harder, but Turkey look a real dangerous outfit. Um, Seno Gunes is the manager now. Uh, they're playing some really good stuff. They've got some really talented players and they've got some really high profile players nowadays playing in top clubs, not just inside Turkey, not just within the big three, you know, Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, and of course, uh, Besiktas uh they've also got you know players playing in 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 Italy playing here in the Premier League uh, and there's plenty of talent in that squad so that's a little bit of an outside bet for me um Turkey to go far in the European Championships Granit Xhaka he played the entire match for Switzerland as they beat Lithuania 1-0 in St. Gallen Shakiri scored after a couple of minutes. Um, to give the hosts all three points in Group C. Bern Leno was called up to the German squad, but he was an unused substitute in Germany's World Cup qualifying win over Romania. Alex Renarsson was also an unused substitute uh, for Iceland as they defeated Armenia 2-0. Kostandiros Mavropanos, who is, of course, out on loan at Stuttgart in the Bundesliga. He won his first Greece cap on Sunday and he played the entirety of Greece's 2-1 friendly win over Honduras in Thessaloniki. Greece back in action uh, in the next couple of days as well. So it would be interesting to see uh, where he or how he features. Um, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, in terms of our players and how they performed. Bear with me a second. Just uh, double checking when that game is with Mavro Banas. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, as I suspected, it's in the next couple of days. So keep your eyes uh, peeled on that one. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, We've got Thomas Partey. Uh, He missed the 1-1 draw uh, with South Africa. Because of coronavirus travel restrictions, but he played the full match uh, as uh, Ghana beat Sao Tome and Principe 3-1 on Sunday. Ghana have already qualified uh, for the African Cup of Nations, but they rounded off their campaign in style with an impressive victory in Group C. Nicolas Pepe, he played the entire game. as the Ivory Coast beat Niger 3-0 on Friday to progress to the finals of the African Cup of Nations. Uh, Eddie Nketiah and Emil Smith-Rowe, they saw their difficult start to the European Under-21 Championships, continue with a 2 nil defeat to Portugal on Sunday. Lots and lots of disappointment around England's Under-21s um, and... Um, how they've fared in the tournament so far. Obviously, two defeats, first at the hands of Switzerland and then uh, against Portugal. The reality is, and I know a lot of England fans go, oh, it's a really talented squad and we should, you know, really uh, be going far in this tournament. I think a lot of it it is the fact that we just seem to, in this country, blow players' ability out of proportions. We build them up really fast and then we chop them straight back down at the first sign of any problems. And I think there's a bit of a naivety as well with regards to, the the strength of these other sides you know how many of us watch the portugal under 21s how many of us have a deep knowledge of their players not many and so perhaps them actually pulling off the result that they did yesterday isn't such a big surprise um and isn't worthy of the meltdown that seems to follow every england defeat at whatever level um england now have to beat croatia in their final game and hope that Portugal defeat Switzerland to have any chance of progressing. Uh, Matteo Genduzzi, he also featured in the same tournament. Uh, he played seven minutes uh, for France as goals uh, from Odson Edouard and Jonathan Icone uh, secured a 2-0 win over Russia. So that's our international update in terms of uh, how some of our players got on apologies. If you can see a bit of white on the green screen behind me, um, these are sunny world problems, right? So the sun is shining through and I, I didn't realize until I started the stream and now I can't uh, block it off. So I'll just put my big head in the way. Um, but I'd rather it was sunny and the green screen was a little bit off, uh, then it'd be cloudy, miserable and pissing down with rain. So there you go. Uh, let's, uh, let's go over to the chat box, get some of your questions in. um, I'd love to pick up some of your questions for the last sort of 10 minutes of the show. Going to be joining the guys over on Same Old Arsenal a little bit later on. And and from tomorrow again, uh, as we start our build up towards uh, the return of the Premier League, we'll be bringing you two pieces of content a day again. And one of those, as I said, is going to be that interview with Kevin Campbell uh, conducted by Mike Stavro in our new series. So make sure uh, that when that does drop, You head over, you give it a watch, you smash the like button. I won't be there to tell you to smash the like button. So make sure you head over there. You do it. You click the subscribe button and show Mike some love in the comments as well uh, because he's done a really fantastic job of putting it together. So look forward to sharing it with you all. Um, (laughs) Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Big hello uh, to Fergus. Make sure you head over and check out the Guns and Yellow Ribbons uh, podcast as well. While you're at it, he says, "Uh, Harry, how would you like a Turkey versus Greece final? not going to happen cuz Greece aren't in the tournament um but that would be i it's, it's like it would be like arsenal tottenham um you know two rivals two countries very close to each other uh in uh proximity um a lot of history between the two countries as well so that would be almost like playing tottenham in a final it's, it's almost the the dreaded game that you'd be so nervous to watch that you probably wouldn't be able to watch it. Um, So no, I wouldn't fancy that. Uh, I wouldn't fancy that, not in the slightest. Uh, Let's see what else you guys got um, in terms of your questions. Uh, Matt G has a good one. He says, how should we rank the priorities of positions this summer? Um, I've got a video. Well, I've got an idea for a podcast that's going to drop in the next few days um, about ranking what we need to do in the transfer window but off the top of my head without going into major major detail I would say that we need um, a centre midfielder I would say that is the top priority I would say solving the number 10 position whether that be signing Martin Odegaard on a permanent deal or bringing someone else in uh, to compete for the role alongside the Smith Rowe is also key um, and then I would look at the left back area and then I would probably look at the right back area as well. But it also, you know, Matt, the, the ranking of of where or, or of how we should be doing things in terms of priorities is also dependent on who we sell, right? You know, if you keep Alexander Lacazette, you don't need a striker. If you sell Alexander Lacazette, all of a sudden you need a striker. If you keep Hector Bellerin, the need for a right back isn't as urgent, but if you sell him, then you need to get one straight away. So there's a lot of... Um, you know, there's a lot of um there's a lot of things to play out. There's a lot of um scenarios that could potentially unfold then off the back of those, and once we have a, gre- a greater understanding of how those are gonna play out, then we can try and um we can try and uh, and prioritize, I guess. But um I've got my ideas on what I think might happen and who I think uh may be going, who may be coming. Uh, but I wanted to um I wanted to do a podcast dedicated to that. So keep your eyes peeled for that one where I'll be uh, going into it in a lot more detail. Uh question in here about uh Takahiro Tomiyasu, Bologna defender. Um the Black Swordsman says, Harry, since you watch Serie A, what do you think of Takahiro Tomiyasu um as a replacement right back? <sighs> He does play at right-back, um, but I think he's better at centre-back, if I'm honest with you. Um, and for that reason, I'm not sure he's quite fit for purpose. He's played a lot of games, um, at, you know, started in 89%. Uh, just brought it up on my screen here of, of Bologna's games this season. But for me, I'm not quite sure he's at that level, mate. Um, Not quite sure he's at the level where I'd be going out actively looking to side him. I think the good thing is that he can play right back, centre back. He can play left back as well, even at a push. So he's very versatile. But again, you know, I think it's an area we're very well stocked in, in terms of the centre back position, where I believe is his best position. And so I would probably uh, hold fire on that one. I'm not overly keen on it but he's a he's looking a decent player uh so it's a good spot uh matt says harry you're hurting my head with all these scenarios let's just get Messi on a free in the summer that would be nice wouldn't it uh that would be nice uh omar says thoughts on the dibala rumors yeah it looks like paulo dibala is is leaving juventus um you know that is uh that is what what's going to happen but you know Is he going to come to Arsenal? I don't know. If we fail to capture Martin Odegaard, then of course, Dybala is an option. He's someone who can play there. But is Dybala going to press? Is he going to work hard? Is he going to close people down? Is he going to defend the way Martin Odegaard does? I don't think so. And that's why I think that Odegaard is the ideal fit for what Mikel Arteta is trying to do. I like Paolo Dybala as a second striker. So as a striker playing just off of the main front man, that is what I think is Paolo Dabala's best position based on my opinion and what I've seen of him. So I'm not sure that, that he will be anywhere near uh, the top of Arsenal's priority list this summer. Um, obviously a very, very talented player who's struggled for game time lately. Um, not had the greatest time of it at Juventus over the last couple of seasons. And, you know, he's, he's made what, 10, 11 appearances in in Serie A this season, which is obviously not good enough. He's got an injury at the moment as well, which obviously means there's perhaps a greater risk. But his contract expires at the end of next season. He's not signing a new one at the moment. um, And it seems as though he is going to be off this summer. Not for me, though. Great player. Really like him. Really enjoy watching him, but not for me. Um, so that's, uh, that's my outlook on that one. Uh, Brad Richardson says, uh, if you had to choose who out of the current team you got printed on your shirt, who would it be? Oh, uh, this is a really tough one. I'd probably go with, um, with, um, Martin Odegaard if we were definitely keeping him. But of course, at the moment, that's all a little bit up in the air. So I'm not a hundred percent, uh, sure if I'd, uh, if I'd go through with that. But in terms of my favorite player right now, and this is just because I like him as a character as well, um, people are going to think I'm mad. But I, I absolutely love David Luiz. I think he's a fantastic character. Um, so I might go with David Luiz on my shirt, maybe grow my hair as well off the back of that. Uh, Patrick Carlson asks uh, Ramsey to Tottenham. I don't think so. I don't think that's on the cards. I don't think that Ramsey will leave Juve. Um if I'm honest, uh, I know there's a lot of speculation about it, but there always seems to be that when players go uh, abroad, sign for um sign for foreign clubs, still got a contract there till 2023, um, and I don't think they'd be allowing him to leave um, unless a really really tempting offer came and end up would Tottenham go and break the bank for Aaron Ramsey? Will anyone go and break the bank for Aaron Ramsey based on his last couple of seasons? I don't think so. Um, but, well, hopefully he doesn't as well, because I like the guy. Um, but um, yeah, we, we don't want to see him joining Spurs, do we? Uh, I know his Arsenal career is in the past. It's history, but still don't want to see him joining Spurs. There you go. Right. Going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for joining me on this edition. Slightly shorter edition, but it is the international break still. Uh, we're still scraping the barrel um, for, you know, good stuff to talk about from an Arsenal perspective. There is lots we could be you know, reviewing and and doing all of that. But I think it's nice sometimes to have a little bit of a wind down period because I tell you what, we're going to be going in hard um, from from this weekend coming. Uh, Lots and lots of content coming your way. As I mentioned, lots of new Shows and series and stuff uh, come into the channel, come into the podcast. Uh, so stay tuned and uh, thank you as always for your continued support. So just to quickly round up, Nabil Fakir is being linked with a move to Arsenal. I feel as though that it's probably uh, just a convenient rumor right now, given that we've heard last week that maybe Real Madrid are looking to keep hold uh, of Martin Odegaard, which deals us a little bit of a blow. Uh, so I feel as I keep saying that this rumor feels like a convenient one fakir has been linked with the premier league on numerous occasions. It's never materialized. There's a debate around what the reason for that actually is. Is it a dodgy knee? Is it because Liverpool uh, didn't fancy it, but um, who knows? Well, I guess we'll never really know, but there you go. Giving you a bit of an update on, um, on um, how some of our players got on. Um, over the uh, course of the uh, last in round of international fixtures. Of course, there's one more round to come before they return back to their clubs. Uh, let me just pick out this comment from Neftali because uh, they're asking me to read. It. it says, I'd be happy with a one extra party and it will be for at number 10. Jacka can play central defensive midfield next to party and push a while at 10 if, uh, ESR isn't fit. It's not a bad shout, but I really do think that the Hussein Mawar ship has sailed. I think if we didn't sign him last summer, we're not going to. So I don't expect that deal to happen, barring uh, a real change uh, in the circumstances of the club and of the player. Um, Make sure you smash the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. Thank you for your continued support and I'll be back tomorrow with more Arsenal content. Until then, ciao!